You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. Welcome back to another beautiful morning in the Lord uh, and to those who are listening online as well. Now, I hope the uh, Statement of Faith series, which finished last week with Pastor Devon, has been uh, insightful for you. And that you've uh, learned what our church is about and also the secondly, what are the spiritual foundations of which our church is built upon. Now today we return to God's plan for the world series based on the Gospel of Luke. And we'll be covering a series of chapters from chapter 15 to the chapter 18. Now many years ago, when we did not have children yet, Kiki and I, together with another newlywed couple, went on a hiking trip up to the Grampians. As we did not want to go where the tourist uh, crowds were, we headed to the northern Grampians because we've always been curious about what the other parts of Grampians looked like. And I must say, it's a very beautiful site, and I encourage you to check it out. Kiki was pregnant with Adele then, so she could not go very far. So off I went with the other couple after making sure Kiki got back to the car all right. Unlike the tourist trails of the southern Grampians, the northern parts were less travelled. Whilst there were paths, it was not clearly marked like the southern Grampians. Long story short, all by myself, I started the hike, hoping to catch up with the other couple who was supposedly ahead. And before I knew it, my navigating sense started to ring alarm bells. This was because the path became harder to hike, and the markers that marked the way were no longer to be found. It was at this point I knew I was totally lost. I had no compass and I had no connectivity, phone connectivity. So Google Maps was useless to me. But thankfully, I had a general good sense of direction and I found the trails I was on and eventually I made it up to the top. And uh, yeah, to my surprise, though I did not see the other couple on the way up or down. Kiki was so worried about us because it took us so long to go up and down that she was nearly going to call the emergency services on us. Thankfully, we emerged from the bushes uh, just before sunset. Now, I think all of us have experienced a point in time where we've been so totally lost. And today's message is about being lost and found. So before we begin, let's bow our heads and prepare our hearts for today's message. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for the gift of scripture. We pray, dear Lord, that you speak through the words that we have read today and the the exposition of your word, that you just help us to take something away with us to apply in our lives, Lord. We pray that the meditation of our hearts and the words that we speak will be holy and acceptable to you. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray. Amen. Now for the benefit of those who are just joining us, we are now back into the Luke's Gospel, as I said. We've been working through um, this book in chunks over a number of years. And for the next six weeks, we'll be covering the central chapters of Luke's Gospel to see what's God's big plan for the world. Now, if you're familiar with chapter 14, 33, which is just preceding the passage we read, uh, it says, So therefore, if any one of you who, ha- who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. Now, this is pretty serious, isn't it? Following Jesus is all in or nothing. That's what Jesus says. He ends the chapter with, this final, with these words. He who has a year 
let him hear. So as we begin to look into chapter 15, we'll find out who's hearing and who's not hearing the word. Now interestingly, we find that the tax collectors and sinners are the ones being drawn to Jesus and listening. Whilst the Pharisees and the scribes were concerned about the people who were hanging around Jesus rather than hearing what Jesus had to say. Now the tax collectors and sinners as far as the Pharisees and scribes are concerned are the wrong kind of people to be accepted into God's kingdom. These people were actually doing some serious wrong here. The tax collectors were working with the enemy, the Romans, in order to get money. The sinners, on the other hand, were just people who were just morally failing short. Not only were these people coming to listen to Jesus, Jesus was actually receiving them. Now the Pharisees and the scribes say, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Letting them come and listen was one thing. Receiving them is another. But eating with them in the eyes of the religious elite was one step too far. You see, sharing food is very important in many cultures. It plays a big part at Pascoville as well. That's why we have morning tea after service and sometimes even church lunch. Every time at True North Life Group, we also gather together for dinner before we get into the Bible study. Sharing a meal or food together is a sign of acceptance, of fellowship together. It's not about the quantity or the quality of the food, although that place is a bonus, but it's about the fellowship with one another. It's about helping to build one another up. And here is Jesus sitting with these people, receiving them, accepting them, and welcoming them into fellowship. The Pharisees, on the other hand, had a rule that they will not associate with such people. And they would not even teach them the word or the law. They thought that they were beyond even listening. They were, some of them were even beyond listening to God's law. In their eyes, they didn't want anything to do with these other people. They're angry with Jesus because he receives them and welcomes them. So in that context, Jesus tells these three stories to rebut the accusation that he was receiving such people. And each of this story is pointing to three great truths. And they are the firstly, the complete lostness of humanity, the overwhelming compassion of the Father, and the ecstatic joy of heaven. Now I believe these three parables are not just reiterating the same point, but actually telling us a lot about how people get lost and how God brings them back and how excited God is when he brings them back or when they realize their folly and make decisions to come back on their own. So let's look at this, those three things um, at the four with the four different kinds of people in the passage. The first one's about lost sheep. Now we are not told how this sheep got lost. You know, maybe he got exhausted in what he was doing, you know, gorging himself on some good pasture and didn't notice uh, that the rest have wandered off in the wrong direction, in, the, in a different direction. Maybe he made some silly choices and found himself away from the shepherd's protection, care and guidance. Maybe it thinks I'm not going to follow the shepherd and decide where I want to go and or what I want to eat. Now, does, this, does this sound a bit like us, doesn't it? 
You know? The world teaches us that we control our destiny of our lives. We can do whatever we want. We don't need a God or any authority to tell us what we can or can't do. You know, I believe we've all been in a situation at some point of our lives. There are certainly heaps of different ways, my friends, that we can get lost. So often, we venture into dark places in the internet or the world and we get led astray by temptations. The material that we consume to feed our minds and even the people that we surround ourselves with. It's so easy just to go along with whatever the mob is doing. And if the mob thinks it's okay to cheat on your taxes, or to rip off your employer, or say certain things, or to have a certain manner in which you behave, you just go along with it because it's accepted by the mob, by the surrounding people. Just like what happened, just like what's happening with some Christians who have been influenced by conspiracy theory movements like QAnon, where people are fed all sorts of lies, and they go believing that certain politicians is sent by God to save America, for example. But measure this person against the Bible, and by his words and his actions, you can see that this person is clearly not a man of God. Her grandmother's eyes was finally open, but it was too late. She was misled by lies and conspiracies which caused her to end up in a prison for the actions that she had taken. The deception only became apparent to her when what was told to her did not occur as she had been told, and thankfully members, family members pointed out to her the contrast of what was happening against the scripture, did she realize how misled she was. You know, it's so sad for me to hear Christians say on national TV and social media that it's okay to hurt others, because they, had, they hold a different view. Where is love thy neighbor? Or turn the other cheek? Or forgive your enemy? They are lost. These are lost sheep, Jesus is describing. And I'm sure there is, not, there is no small number of people that are like that. The second parable is about a woman who's got ten silver coins. And if she loses one, doesn't she light up a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? In this parable, Jesus is talking about another way of being lost. It's about being lost in the dark. For some people, it's just plain, straight-out ignorance. It's a kind of darkness that doesn't allow God into the situation. That's willful blindness. Actually, knowing the light that God wants you to live in, but deliberately choosing to live in the dark. It's like when I realized I was lost on my hike, but I simply just kept going, not trying to retrace my steps. I could have created a search and rescue situation if I had just blindly ignored that I was lost. Then we got the younger son, lost younger son. Now here's the guy who willfully is willfully lost. He's gone to his dad, which is a terrible thing to do, and said, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance. Now in that culture at that time, and even now, it's equivalent to saying to your dad, I wish you were dead. I can't wait until you die, so give me what I'm entitled to now. He takes his money and he goes and squanders it in reckless living. This is a person who knows that they, they, are rightfully, that this, they rightfully belong to God, that they owe him everything, but deliberately walk away from him. 
but not just walk away. He actually burns through these gifts and the talents and the resources that he's given, using the gifts and abilities for their own selfish needs, rather than glorifying the Father or to build up the family. This can be anything. It can be our life, our health, and our welfare. We can so easily burn up on ourselves and in willful and selfish pursuit of pleasure. Now Jesus talks about the result of this kind of willful lostness and it's an awful picture of desperation and destitution as a famine arises in that country. He begins to be in need and of course all his friends run off and he had to hire himself to a citizen there and this guy sends him off to feed the pigs. That's about as low as you can get, especially for the people that Jesus is talking to. This poor guy has gone from being the center of everything to feeding the pigs, the bottom of the barrel. Not only has it made him unacceptable in the community, his own community, he has also become a religious outcast. He's so desperate and hungry that even the pig's food looks edible to him. It's a picture of utter lostness and willful lostness. The fourth form of lostness is that of the older son. He's lost in his self-righteousness. He said to his dad, These many years I've served here. I never disobeyed you. Blah, 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 blah. What's all this about? Well, this is about look at what I've done. This son is not in the family because of what he did. He's in the family because he was born into the family and he's related to the father and the mother and the brother. But he's starting to see himself as disjointed from the family and suddenly disjointed from his brother. He says, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, he says in verse 30, and doesn't even say the name of the brother and yet you killed the fattened calf for him? That's what he was thinking in his head. He's so annoyed. He does what he, we do when we are feeling self-righteous, doesn't he? The people we think have done the wrong against us, we exaggerate what they've done. That's exactly what the older brother is doing here. The parable does not say that the man wasted his money on prostitutes. It just says reckless living. But here he... he the elder son has drawn some conclusions and added the story to make himself sound that much better. Of course, he exaggerates his own virtues as well. Like, I've done everything right by you. I've never disobeyed you and so on. Now, anyone who has brought up kids know that that will never happen. But he's building himself up and putting others down. He's totally lost in his self-righteousness. You not only think that you're okay, you actually think you're better than others. It's a sorry and a desperate state for anyone to be in because they don't realize how very lost they are. Now Jesus, of course, is joining the dots for the scribes and the Pharisees. While Jesus doesn't say the quiet part out loud, from his words we know He's saying to these guys, you are so self-righteous that you can't even see the error of your ways. 
Now, as a Christian, if you have served the Lord for a while, it's easy to begin to think that God owes you something. Or that the church owes me something. But friends, I want to remind you something, even though I was born in a Christian home, been a Christian all my life. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you're just as much a Christian as I am. I'm no better or more of a Christian than you are just because I serve as a preacher or a life group leader or even serve in a church. It does not matter. Why are we in this family? It's because we were born into the family by the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. That's why we're here. That's the only reason we are in this family. And that's the only way that this self-righteous lost older son is in this family. He was born there. But he could have just as easily been born a slave, not in a well-off family with all its benefits. It's the sacrifice of Jesus that makes us part of the family of God. It's not how good we are or how self-righteous we are. It's all about how good God is. And that's what makes us part of His family. So that's all the different ways that Jesus is putting out there that we can, get, can be lost. The second part is the overwhelming compassion of the Father. We see this shepherd in the parable leave the 99 in the open and go searching for the lost sheep. This is actually a significant risk to his livelihood and future. You know, sacrificing, 90, potentially losing 99 sheep. Who knows how long this will take, but he kept at it. And what he does, he, 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 he does not stop until he finds that lost sheep. He takes the lost sheep where he finds it and lays it on his shoulder and brings it home. No, he doesn't grab that, the scruff of that neck and drag it back to the flock, saying, you lazy sheep, why did you leave behind or why did you run away? No, there's none of that. By carrying a sheep on the shoulders, the shepherd is providing guidance to a young, uncooperative sheep and helps the animal bond with the shepherd. It's also a way to protect the animal from the various dangers such as predators, hostile weather conditions or even dangerous terrain. Is the act of carrying a sheep on their shoulders is also an act of comfort for that animal. It's a way for the shepherd to show their care and concern for that sheep. While the sheep gets comforted by the warmth and the safety of the shepherd's shoulders. What a wonderful picture of God the Father bringing people back under his protection, his guidance, his care, his fellowship and friendship with a community of sheep. That's why Jesus came to rescue. Now Matthew says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What's driving Jesus? His compassion. His compassion for you and for I. Now what about that lost coin? Well, this woman is looking for the lost coin. What does she do? She brings in a light and cleans up the whole house and diligently searches until she finds that coin. This is no half-hearted effort. This is diligently and completely searching until the coin is found. 
The woman is diligently searching until she finds that coin. She doesn't give up until it's in her hands. And that's what God's like. That's what God's like. He loves us so much that like that coin to that woman, He said, we are precious to Him. And He will make the effort to search for you. And He will truly find us and bring us home. And He brings in the light into our lives. This is so we can see everything because Jesus is the light. Now C.S. Lewis, the famous writer, says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I can see it, but because by it I see everything else. That's a great thing to say, isn't it? When the Lord brings the light, we see how great Jesus is. And by Him, the whole of life starts to make sense. Without Jesus, our life is meaningless and without purpose. The world teaches us that we are an accident through evolution. God tells us the opposite. God tells us that we are beautifully and wonderfully made and He's worth His love. That's how precious you are, my friends, to our Lord and our God. Next is the son. The youngest son. Next is the oldest son. Sorry, the youngest son in verse 20. The youngest son arises and goes to the father. After he comes to his senses, and while he's still a long way away, his father sees him and feels compassion. He runs and embraces and kisses him. Now everything about this encounter of the father and the son screams of love and mercy. He sees him from a long way off. Now how could, this, how could that be? Unless, of course, he's been standing out there every day, looking out every day at the horizon, hoping for his son's return. Hoping that his son will realize his mistakes and come back. Such is the father's love and compassion for his son. There are no recrimination. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, he said. But the father sort of ignores all that, grabs him, hugs him, and kisses him instead. What a wonderful picture of the way God receives us. Here God has the opportunity to say to the son, Sorry son, you've got what is yours, you've got what you deserve, you wasted it all, so go away. I don't want you anymore. But instead, he kisses him, gives him a robe and a ring and shoes. These are all the signs of restoration and full acceptance back as a son. Even though the son said he was happy. Just happy just to be a slave. What about the older son? He's treated with the same compassion, actually, as the younger son, even though he refuses to come into the party. The dad goes out and begs him. He could have ordered him just to comply, but instead he goes and begs him, and he has compassion for him, even though he's complaining bitterly about what his brother has done. Even though this son is a self-righteous pain, his father has compassion on him and begs him to join the celebration of this reunited family. 
All these four examples tells us that God is loving and compassionate, and He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. In fact, He gives us the exact opposite of what we deserve. He gives us love, and He gives us acceptance. Finally, the ecstatic joy of heaven, the great thing that's common in all these three stories of the four characters, isn't just the loss of humanity and the incredible love of the Father, but there is also great joy in heaven, many times over whenever a sinner repents. Now, ten times in the passage, the word joy or make merry is used. It's the big theme in these passages. Any lost sheep, lost coin, or lost son who repents and comes back is welcome, and there is great rejoicing. In a way, Jesus is trying to say something here, and there is God is bringing people who have come off the track back home. They are repenting, and we should be excited about that. We should be excited. To know that God is seeking us out and bringing us back to Himself. Now, notice that the outcome of the son who is lost is left hanging. The, the lost son is left hanging. We don't know if the switch. If we don't know if he switched to be being found. Now, I believe that Jesus did this deliberately because he wants the self-righteous among us, like the Pharisees and the scribes, to identify the characters of the story. And say, hey, that's me. Jesus wants them to see themselves in that story. The last verse of this chapter is very important, isn't it? It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your younger brother was dead; he is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Now the word "fitting" is actually a very weak translation. You should probably say we must celebrate. You can't do anything else. This is so exciting and absolutely necessary. This is such good news that there's no option other than to celebrate when someone comes to Jesus or repents. You know, I've asked myself this week, what is it that gives me greatest joy in the last twelve months? What's the thing that you've been most excited about? But there are many gifts that God has given us to enjoy, like food, you know, graduation, a new job, finding a life partner, kids, grandkids, a new phone, or just making it out of bed. Even they are, they are the most exciting things that has happened to, to. This might be the best, the most exciting thing that has happened to you in the last twelve months. But friends, most of these things are going to end when the world ends. What gets heaven and eternity partying and excited is when a soul, another soul, comes home to Jesus. Friends, I hope that you've been able to see yourself somewhere in these three stories—the kind of lostness that you were in before God found you, or maybe the kind of lostness that you are in right now, as we are going, as we have gone to the passage this morning. Maybe you can see the darkness and the aloneness that's filled your life right now. Perhaps you come to see that you are far away from God, or you wandered away from God, and He's helped you this morning to come to your senses, and you know that you must return to Him. Friends, if that's you, 
This morning, I want to encourage you to do what the son did. He firstly gave up his life among the pigs, away from the father, and he came home. He came home, and that's what, we, what you and I need to do. You need to give up trying to run away from God and come home to God the Father. You need to welcome the light of the Word into your life. You need to let the shepherd put you on his shoulders and carry you home. Friends, he died on that cross to make that possible. That's why the finder in this story is not angry because the price is paid. There's no recrimination about being lost because it's all gone on the Lord Jesus. Friends, you can do that now. You can come home to the Father now and there are no better words than what this young guy used out there. And just saying this, God, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son or your daughter and ask him to forgive you. Accept what he's done for you on that cross and come home to the loving, compassionate Father. If you do this, God's response as heaven rejoices is this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now John Newton was a blaspheming, anti-Christian slave trader. He was totally depraved and one of his goals in life was to discredit Christianity. But just like Paul, God dramatically intervened in his life and he became a preacher of the good news for the rest of his life. And he wrote this famous hymn and we've all sung it before, Amazing Grace. It says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now am found was blind, but now I see. At the end of John's life, he said this, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. One, I'm a great sinner. And two, Jesus Christ is a great saviour. Let's take time now to respond to God's word to us. Luke 15 in our own personal way and then I'll lead us in prayer. Let's bow our heads. In your own words, talk to God right now. Profess your lostness to Him. And thank Him for sending His Son, Jesus, into your life. God, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. Please forgive me and take me home. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love for those who are lost. Without that, we will have no hope. We will still be lost away from you in the dark, willfully going our own way. But thank you so much that you come looking and called us to repent and to turn to you. Thank you that you welcome us back, Lord.
And I pray this morning that each one of us might know that we have returned to you, that our sins are forgiven by what Jesus has done on the cross. Not because of what we did, but because of what Jesus did on that cross. Lord, help us all to rejoice to see as we see you do your wonderful work of bringing people back to yourself. Help us be excited and be instruments for you in leading others into eternity in your kingdom. We thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.